Last week, we kind of have been sharing this a little bit, but really we kind of picked this up, and I named it Living Positive in a Negative World because I didn't want to put How to Overcome Depression or Blue Mondays. Because some people would be like, well, I don't need that, you know, or whatever. But in all reality, depression or, um, because depression, you know, from a clinical thing, you know, people think, whoa, you know, something, bam. But depression can be in a, in a broad range or just depression can try to come. Because depression just means to push you down, you know, to depress, you know, to push you down. And um, I know that you can be the most positive. We talked about David, you know, King David, who before he was King David, God said, he's a man after my own heart. And uh, a little while back, we talked about how David was a man after God's own heart because he was real positive. He was real positive. In other words, we saw from Scripture that God is positive toward us. So if we're reading God correctly, we're going to be thinking He's positive toward us. If we're reading Him correctly, we're thinking He's positive toward us. All the promises that God gave are, well, maybe... No, the Bible said are yes and so be it. So those are words from God to us that are absolute. So that's the way God looks at us. And then we read how that God is called the God of all hope. In other words, that means positive expectation. So if we're seeing God correctly, if we're seeing him correctly, we're thinking he's got good plans. He's looking toward the good for us. And um, got real quiet. Well, anyway, but David was a real positive person. Remember, all the children of Israel were afraid. Goliath is there. He said, we're going to kill all of you. And David was not negative. He was positive. What He said, no, how can this guy who doesn't belong to God harassing the people of God, he's trying to do this. He can't do this. We're going to win. And I'll take him down. He was positive. But why? He had a relationship with God. And, you know, I believe we all have a relationship with God, but if we're not careful, we could start thinking wrong and not even know we're thinking wrong about God. He might be angry at me. Well, God did something about that. He put all our sin on Jesus to release us from sin. And so God is for us and not against us. That's not me. That is a Bible verse that said, God is for us. That means he's for you. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes when you say a word like that, depending on where different people are, they will, there will be more smoke to get through than others or more of a battle for that to, to win. Because they have so many arguments against why God is not for them, where others maybe don't have many and they go, okay. Do you know one way that we are told to receive the word of God is with meekness? 
There have been a lot of definitions about it. I've looked up definitions. And literally, probably the best one that I have found literally means uh, one who doesn't argue against the truth. So if God said he's for you, then receive that with meekness. I could say it like this. Don't argue. That might have, you know, sometimes when parents would say things, you know, I've heard parents say this, this is what's going to happen, don't argue. Nobody's ever heard that before? Don't argue. I wonder if God would say, I'm for you, don't argue. But some of you act like you never heard some, I know nobody, none of us would say don't argue, but we've all heard somebody tell their kid, don't argue, this is how it is. And you expect them to put no defense up. Maybe that originated from God. Don't argue, I'm for you. But what is it that we're arguing, what, what is it that we're taking to bring to God to say, my argument is justified? Where, where did that come from? And what happens when I have those things in me? Or they come. Proverbs, the 12th chapter. And um, before we get there, maybe I'll tell something. Well, we'll get here. Proverbs, the 12th chapter. What happens when these negative thoughts come to us? Are they from God? This is a good question. Where do thoughts come from? Are our thoughts originated in me only, by me only? Are thoughts originated by God only, or me or God only? Or are there thoughts that are originated or influenced by the devil? Or could it be all three? And if God's for us and I'm uh, getting a bunch of negative thoughts in me that are just tearing me up, bringing me down, and if God's for me and not against me, then where are those thoughts coming from? Are they originating in me? Maybe they originated because of the condition I grew up in that, that, that a parent or parents or relatives or people were just talking down. And I've learned to accept that or just bear up. But then you would have to ask, even if people spoke negative things, where did they get them? And how do you deal with them? You know, Jesus had to deal with this kind of stuff like we did uh, to live a positive life and a victorious life and walk with God. One time, one of his own followers said, I'm not going to let you do this. And he was talking about how I'm going to serve God. I'm going to go forward in God. I'm going to do this. And a well-meaning believer, one definitely called of God, Peter said, Oh, not so, Lord. I'm not going to let you do that. In other words, don't go this direction. Don't try to serve God. Don't do this. That came into his mind. Jesus had the wherewithal to recognize the source was not from God, 
was not even originally from Peter. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to serve God. You don't really have to do this to be a good Christian. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Peter loved Jesus. Totally did. And Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. Now, he wasn't talking to Peter. He was basically saying, Peter, you're listening to a voice. And he rebuked the voice that was giving Peter the thought. What if Jesus would have adopted that thought? We, we talked about that last week, how it said, take no thought sane. In other words, don't accept certain thoughts by repeating them and declaring them as yours. You know, when I first started the church, I had been in ministry for quite a while, doing youth and, and uh, an assistant pastor, and then I, and there was a transition time, and I knew I'm moving to Arizona like the Beverly Hillbillies moved from wherever to California, but I was moving out of California, and uh, I didn't know all these people would follow. But anyway, so I, I moved here, and I remember coming and starting the church, and nobody was here. You know, I was going to start in the golf course. I didn't even care, really. I mean, I wanted people, but I was thinking, as long as we do the first service, we're kind of got the car in gear, let's go. And I remember I got done with the service, and I was like, woohoo! And I drove home, and I lived in Gold Canyon at that time, and I drove up over this hill... And, and I don't live, like, down or anything. And all of a sudden, it was like a cloud, like a pressure against my mind came. And I just, and, and it wasn't words per se, but this was real. You, you should just quit. You should just close the doors. I was like, whoa. And, and I was thinking, all these years to get this far... You should just quit. I could still remember where I was on the road. And I thought this, and it just got gloomy. And I was thinking, hey, you know, 30 minutes before, closed the stuff up and drove away. And I'm thinking, woohoo. And then all of a sudden from there to just this gloom, and I went, wait a minute. And I thought, and I thought this, and then I said, you get out of here, devil, in Jesus' name. Well, God had been leading me down this path to do this, and then all of a sudden, some gloomy something, and I remember it just, the, it was like almost a weather change, and I was like, whoa. And I thought, there, now I knew there was an enemy, but I thought, there really is an enemy. And it cleared up, and I remember going home, and about a week later, in the exact same place, I don't know if he was sitting there hitchhiking, waiting for me to go by to pick him up and go, come on, I feel good about this one. And um, if you know the reference to that, normally don't pick up hitchhikers, but I have a good feeling about this. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Others who know Dumb and Dumber have gone, oh. And uh, so I remember going by there, and all of a sudden, the same direction. 
this is gloom. Like, you should quit. You should just close up. And I thought, what in the world? And I said, you get out of here in Jesus' name. Here's the problem sometimes with people. They've already picked up that thought, and it's been traveling with them now for a month. It's not God. It's not from God. And you, you just have to pull over or keep driving. Make him jump while you're driving. You know, you're going to have to get out of here. And what was happening was it was trying to rob me to get me to change directions, to, to not go forward with God, go forward in the right way with God. And it was, and, and cause it to cause me to be like, ugh, and God didn't want that. So Proverbs, the 12th chapter, and the 25th verse says this, anxiety or fear or timidity in the heart of a man causes depression. When there's fear thoughts and worry thoughts and down thoughts that come, they come to cause people to get depressed. But I'm so glad that in the book of wisdom, he said, but a good word makes it glad. Or you could say this, good words will change a person's heart. Good words will drive off depression. Good words, and hey, we live in a time right now in the holiday season and uh, just different things happening in the world where people face things. Jesus faced things. But I'm so glad he said, but a good word, notice he didn't say a bad word, there's a big difference between a good word and a bad word. Some people, I wonder if they know the difference between a good and a bad word. So he said, oh yeah, the F word, that's a bad one. Okay, I'll give you that. Words are real. Words paint pictures. But what are other bad words? You won't amount to anything. Your faith won't work. God's not really for you. You've messed up too many times. It'll work for others, but it won't work for you. No, God's word is super powerful. But fear that it might not work? Where does that come from? It produces depression. So a good word will change the heart. What does that mean? Then that means I need to say, no, his word does work. Why? Because who is promoting it won't work? Turn to Psalm 34. We're right there. The book before, Psalm 34. Anybody who has had bad thoughts, and I will say this, that's about 50% of the people in here. The rest have never had a bad thought in their life. Some people got confused by that. That means 100% of the people in the world have faced bad thoughts. Jesus faced bad thoughts. But he showed us how to overcome them. And he wants us to overcome them. But one thing that we mentioned a couple weeks ago is that thoughts and words have a taste. 
You know, we talk about, wow, that was a bitter word. And, and it talks about the words of a talebearer or a liar or certain kind of words go down into the belly. You ever had somebody say something that was real stingy? And it seemed like it was more internal than just in your mind and it tried to stick around. What do we do with those? Are we just a victim? But here's the thing, if I don't know what to do, and often, you know, depending on the generation you lived in, you maybe heard different instructions. Maybe you weren't in the generation that you were a princess or some king or something, and you were just in a generation that was like, just put a smile on your face, just bear up, quit crying, just go. But so, you, so then it, it can come at you, it can be loading up on you, but you just keep going because you were taught, go. And you don't, you don't care what's coming, I'm going to keep going. God wants you to keep going. But the issue is he doesn't want you to keep going with all that. He wants to help us and show us how to deal with these things. And if I pray, God, do it for me, he may remind me, but there is a part I have to do in this. And so Psalm right here, 34, and we'll begin reading in verse 8. We should read around verse 7, but we'll read verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Notice he said, taste and see the Lord is good. The verse before says this, the angel of the Lord is encamped around about those who fear, who love, who walk with God. That's us then we could say somebody, God has sent somebody to be with me, to help me, to protect me, to keep me. Those are good words. I'm not alone. And I'm not just trying to win on my own. God has put angels around me. God has put angels around you. But he said, taste and see the Lord is good. So there is something that can taste. We read this, uh, and we'll read this again in Job, because it's such a phenomenal verse. Job's gospel, or Job's gospel, the book of Job before Job's gospel. Boy, that would be bad, because it's been misinterpreted. Total side thought. Job's life, Bible scholars believe Job's life, the part we have the account of, of the turmoil lasted between six and nine months. It didn't last 47 years. And the Lord didn't take things away. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it wasn't, Job said that, but he wasn't right. You say, how, how are you in authority to say that? If the Bible said, Job said it. I didn't say Job didn't say it. But by a careful observation, you can tell the Lord didn't take it. 
the devil came to the Lord and said, you know, I can't touch Job. Because there's a hedge of protection around him. And I'm not able to get into his life. Who was trying to get into his life to mess it up? Job was not, his life was not trying to get messed up by God, but by the devil. And the Lord said, the hedge of protection is down. When he learned what happened, chaos came to his life. Somebody said, well, the, you know, the Lord permitted it. The Lord permits a lot of things. That doesn't mean he's initiating it, nor does he want it. How many parents have had a kid that did something, burned their hand, they warned them, don't do this. The parent turned their head to go do something, and all of a sudden the kid touched something, burned their hand. The parent permitted that. They didn't commission it. But there is an element where kids are going to do and can get into things, and even the best parent, things happen. Are you with me? God doesn't want any of this bad to happen. If you read the, the book of Job, you'll see that there were a couple things in play in Job's own life. He was full of self-confidence. He was prideful. And then, in other words, he, he was self Self, selfie. He did love God, but then he had fear too that he had to deal with because he even said later on he, he had feared all this junk that was coming. So you could tell Job was starting to get into depression because the Bible said in the book of Job, he said, That which I have greatly feared has now come upon me. And we know that fear and anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So Job was getting pushed down. Somehow negative thoughts were coming to him through fear. Are you with me? And he was getting pushed down. If you'll read the book of James, you'll see in the fifth chapter how that Job's captivity, so he was captive to the enemy... And it says that God turned Job's captivity and gave him twice as much. So who was stealing and who was giving good? God was wanting good. It even said, behold the end that was intended by God for Job. God intended good for Job, but if Job opened the door, Job's got to close the door. Are you with me? And, and he did. And God was able to get him double what he had before. And God was intending good for Job. We can see the enemy was intending bad. In the middle of the book of Job, uh, we'll read in verse or the 34th chapter, there are some real good things in the book of Job. If you just think, man, Job's boils, Job's turkeys, you know, all the tornadoes, all the bad, and you focus on that, you'll think, man, this lasted forever, and it wasn't forever. And Job got out of fear. Job got out of self, you know, self-driven, a confidence in himself, and really got to the place where he was confident in God, more so, even though he loved God. 
But notice verse uh, 34, verse 2. Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear, and we read this a couple, a few weeks ago, for the ear tests words as the palate or the tongue tastes food. You know, I could say this about being led by God. There are some things we go to do and we're like, ooh, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. What well, doesn't mean it's here. It's something in me that knows don't go that way. But isn't it interesting that words can affect the flavor of my life? I mean, just watch a bunch of scary stuff. And it will do certain things because words are containers. They can be full of love. They can be full of faith. They can be full of hate. They can be bitter. They can be full of gossip. They can be all kinds of things. I remember when the riots happened, not the ones in the 60s, but the ones, I believe, in the 90s uh, in California, Reginald, Denny, and that whole thing where there were just riots and, I mean, that you couldn't even get off the freeway in those neighborhoods. I mean, it was brutal. I remember we had a Denny's in our town, uh, a nicer, newer Denny's, or in the town next to us. And we knew some people that worked there. They couldn't even find the key because it hadn't closed in so long. And there was a 7-Eleven the same way. It was open 24 hours. They didn't even know where the keys were. They had to rekey the buildings because things were closing down, and it was just, there was like a feeding of fear, and people were talking, and the riots were spreading, and buildings were on fire. I remember driving down the street, you know, in the middle of the day, and it just seemed gloomy. You know, just the, and how was that happening? There are spiritual influences. How many realize this? If you're a Christian, if you have received Christ, God is way more powerful in you. Way more powerful in you. But what happens is, is these thoughts, ideas, suggestions come to kind of cloud things, to get people to think different, to believe different than they actually are and what they have in Christ. And they get this bad taste in their, where does it come from? It comes from what they hear. You know, I have been sabotaged before. Have you ever been? I've been to Starbucks. And they had this chocolate chip thing that's like, almost like a milkshake, but it's not. And it's real good. And I remember I ordered it. And I always tell them it cannot have coffee. Because coffee. And so I told them, don't do this. And I remember I took a drink of this thing. And I was sabotaged. And I remember, like, I fell on the floor. I was writhing around. No, not, it wasn't that bad, but I remember thinking, ugh. And I, I, I put it back. I said, there's coffee in that. I probably look like a three-year-old. And uh, 
ah, there's coffee in that. I was like, I need something to get in my mouth. Because it was like, ugh. It stayed there. I was like, this is gross. What are they trying to do to me? So when people ask me, well, have you ever had it like this? Stop it. (laughs) There were chocolate chips in there. What else do you want? And I was like, ugh. And I remember I couldn't get stuff in my mouth, and then it was like, you know, you're scratching your tongue with your fingernails trying to get that flavor off. It was bad. And it, and it just left something lingering. I, I couldn't get my new drink fast enough, and it took half. You know, I had to ruin half of that, getting it down to get rid of that yuck. You say, well, that's kind of silly. But how many words sometimes have been left that people have tasted and they thought, well, just bear up and we'll get by this. And, you know, you can, but is there a way to get by it effectively? Is there? We've already seen little snippets as we've been reading how to get by them. You know, the Bible said in Proverbs 16, 24, it said, kind words are sweet to the soul. So we know that different words have different effect. You can tell what you're thinking on by the effect it's having. And if God is for you and not against you, and he prayed and he told us, pray that his will would be done on earth like it's being done in heaven, there's never a blue Monday in heaven There's never a down day in heaven. So God, even though we live in a hostile environment, he's basically saying there's a way to overcome and live up and not down and live free. But is it just mind over matter or I'll just bear through this? You ever tried to bear through it? Probably everybody has at some point. And then you just get tired Nobody's ever been like that. What do we do? You know, David being a positive person in 1 Samuel, it said that when David had won a great victory and all the people were praising him, then they got back home and found out things were not favorable and enemy army had come and attacked them and stole all their goods, you know. And um, David's the leader. And they come back with all this, but then, you know, after this great spoil, he comes back with the soldiers, and man, everything's been robbed at home. And those people turned on him, and it said the people spoke of stoning him. Well, that's not a good day, because it wasn't like a dispensary stoning. It was more of the rock kind where they're going to beat him to death. And, and so they spoke this, and it caused not the best thing to happen. But what did David do? Said so David encouraged himself in the Lord. Remember, fear and anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word? I cannot always wait for you, and you cannot always wait for me. You can come on Sunday and hear something. You can listen to something online, but there are times we're just going to have to talk to ourselves. 
And we're going to have to know what good words are. We're going to have to know what God paid for us, what he bought. You know, in Luke 4, Jesus had just been anointed with the Spirit, was about to launch into something tremendous with God, his earthly ministry. And you know what happened? Discouraging thoughts came. The devil came to him with discouraging thoughts and said, if you think you're this, you know, and just started laying into Jesus. Jesus showed us right here how to start dealing with uh, depressing thoughts. I know of a story of a lady who had had some real bad episodes with depression and would just really get out of her mind. And she went to a doctor, uh, the family brought her to a doctor, and the doctor said, and he wasn't a big psychologist, but he knew the Bible. He said, the best thing you can do is when you start sensing these dark thoughts coming, start talking to them. Start saying, I'm not going to be depressed. And he said, now, here are some Bible verses. You know, I'm more than a conqueror. God's for me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And, and he said, you know, he told her what to do. And this lady started doing this. It took her a while, but she got better and better and more victorious. And after months, somebody said, well, I'm looking for something instant. Hey, if it doesn't happen instant... It's better to have it happen than not at all. And so she stuck with it. And this lady who had had episodes for years of severe depression and literally her mind would like almost snap, literally got to the point where she lived free. But what did she do? She did exactly what Jesus did when thoughts came. Those thoughts that came to Jesus in Luke and in Matthew to cause him to divert and change and go a different way, he would have been miserable had he gone with them. So he started speaking against them. He didn't agree with them. Because think of some of the things. Well, if you really are the Son of God, who, you know, are you really a Christian? Yeah, I'm a child of God and you're a child of God if you're saved. Jesus attacked thoughts with verbalization of truth. Not negative, but positive. And there are tons of positive things written in the New Testament alone. There's a hundred and something verses that say who you are and what you have in Christ. If the enemy says you don't have authority, you can say he gave me authority. The Bible said it. He gave me peace. He gave me joy. He gave me comfort. What happens is, is those thoughts come and cloud it all up. And then we're not experiencing what we really already have. Do you know the Bible said that if you're saved... You're already complete in him. He, in other words, he's given you everything you need. 
How many have ever had something and you knew you had it, you just couldn't find it in the garage? Some people are like, yeah, I know I can't find things in my garage, but that's a different story. But I'm saying even if your garage is super neat and everything, and you're like, where is that? I know it was here. I know it was around here. Listen, we have peace. We have comfort. We have self-control. It's been given to us by God. But if the thoughts come and we don't do the proper thing, it can get clouded and we can start saying, I don't have self-control. I don't have peace. I don't have comfort. No, the world does not. We do. But it may be that I'm not experiencing it. So turn to Ephesians, and we're going to close with two verses here. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And Ephesians 6 is right after Ephesians 5. Which is after Ephesians 4 which is after 3, which is after 2, which is after... Did I lose you guys? What's it after? The last one, the last one. What did he say in 1 before he said something in 6? It does say he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, so that's the same as the verse in Colossians, but there's another thing he said in there. That he's already raised us up victorious and seated us above every demonic power. In other words, your mentality and my mentality, if it comes in line with God, should be, I'm above them. Are you with me? I'm above them. Well, then the question is, how do I approach them then? Like, I don't know if I can win? No, because technically I'm seated in a victorious position. When, when, I, when the thoughts come, I should say, oh, you're going to lose because you've already been defeated and I'm already in a victorious position. That is not always how we're taught. We're taught, just, just bear up. No, Jesus said, speak up. All the way in the sixth chapter after he explained to them that they're alive, that they've been set right with God by the work of Christ, that they've been created new for good works, that they've been created in true righteousness and true holiness. And the list goes on and on. He said, imitate God. You're, you're his child. And he talks all these different things. And after telling them, I've put you above them, now he said, here's how you deal with them. And what has happened is sometimes people think, well, then this is some big battle we're in and we just got to spend a bunch of time fighting the devil. And I would say, why would you want to do that? Ephesians 6, after Ephesians 1. We are above. We are in a victorious position. You are already translated, the Bible said, out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's where you are. But thoughts will come to cloud that. You ready? Ephesians 6. Above all, verse 16, take the shield of faith. With it, you will be able to quench, 616, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
Now realize fiery darts are going to come. We are to put them out. What are these fiery darts? The same thing Jesus spoke. Thoughts that come against your mind to tear you down, you can put those out by using the shield of faith, which, as we read on, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Literally, the Word of God there means the spoken Word. The only offensive weapon is the spoken Word. So how do I get fiery darts out, and how am I going to win? Well, I have to know he's already done something for me. And he's for me, then I need to extinguish anything. If the thought comes, he's not for me, instead of just collapsing and thinking, no, he's for me and myself, I need to vocalize. No, he said he's for me. Got quiet. We should talk, talk things up. He's got a good plan for our lives. He makes us a success. Didn't he say that in the Bible? That his plans, he has successful plans. He said, meditate in the word of God. Your way will be successful. What does that mean? You can be productive. Have good success. So I need to, we all need to vocalize. We need to find out that God is for us and we need to start right there and go, God's for me. He's leading me in triumph. I'm quoting verses. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. He will lead me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He'll lead me into the place where he, my soul or my emotions are restored. Are you with me? Let's close right here in Hebrews 10. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. This verse right here is a real awesome verse. Well, the Bible's full of awesomeness. But here... In Hebrews 10.24, it says this, And let us consider one another. This would include yourself. In order to stir up love and good works. Wow, God wants a good stuff happening around you. If he's wanting to stir up love and good works, he's wanting good things to happen around you. Let me say that again. He wants good things to happen around you. So bad things happening are not God's way, but he said right here, good works can be stirred up. And then he said this, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So he said, listen, it's important for us to gather together as believers. Are you with me? It's important. There are so many dynamics that work when we're together that don't work when we're apart. And so if there's a pull to be apart, that's a fiery dart. 
got quiet there. You guys are all here. You should have said, amen, that's right. But it's a pull. I said, it's a pull. But notice the part that I think is so tr- uh, is another tremendous part of this verse. He said, as the manner of some are, some people don't do this, but he said this, and this is the part I wanted to get to, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What is he saying in this verse? He's talking about the Lord's return. As we move further in time, I had always heard this, that we should go to church more and more as the day approaches. As his return approaches, we should go to church more and more. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody's arm healed, you could lift it up? Oh, okay, there we go. How many of you know that's got nothing to do with it? Because if you, you know that old term, if you reverse engineer it, you realize that can't be true, because then basically what he's saying, before we're close to the end, then there's no sweat. You really don't need to go to church that much. It's when you get closer to the end, then go. Don't forsake and go more and more. Well, eventually, if you're there when all the doors are open, then you can't go more and more. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying all believers should be committed to going. But what we do need to increase in is encouraging one another. More and more as we see the day approaching. But there's another side to this. What if nobody's around to encourage me and others haven't got a hold of this yet? Then I'm in trouble. You know, I just run over to Amber and I'm like, what's up? She just ignores me like, how you doing? I'm like, good. And then Jeremy's there, so I run over to him. He didn't say nothing. That didn't help. I'm all getting all tired running around trying to see if somebody... Oh, they didn't say anything. I'm just dealing with this stuff and nobody's saying anything. Don't they know this verse? Well, guess who else can practice this verse? More and more, I can encourage myself. More and more, I can encourage myself. If I get in the habit of doing it for me, I'll probably, it'll probably help me do it for you. Then I'll be able to get to Jeremy and he'll go like, here's the encouragement you want. And I'm like, Whew, I didn't know if I was going to make it without that. How many of you realize encouragement can be a breath of fresh air? It can be such a good taste in our mouth and God has got tons of it for us. Sometimes we just have to repeat it to ourselves. Amen? And when we do, certain things will get extinguished. Other things will grow. Faith will grow. The dark cloud will leave. And you'll be just like little Mr. Sunshine or Miss Sunshine in a dark world. Amen? And how do we do that? Because in all reality, the Bible said you already are light in the Lord. You mean I already am Mr. Sunshine? You are. We may not know it, but we should acknowledge it. 